is up, everybody? Welcome to this week's episode of the Dense Pixels Podcast. I am your host, Brad, joined by my co-host, Carrie. What's up? It's going to be a fun week this week if you are a nerd, as I am, about the business of the video game business, because the Apple Epic trial started this week, and some of the things that we're learning are wild and crazy, and we're going to talk about it later in the show. It's what we call a tease in the business. Uh, let us start uh, with Carrie, who has sure. been playing uh, copious Monster Hunter Rise, I assume. Yeah. And also Pokemon Snap. Yeah. I'll start with Monster Hunter Rise. So last week, the first big title update for Monster Hunter Rise released. Um, it added three new Elder Dragons, um, a new event quest. Um, it unlocked the hunter rank, so now you can flex your your hunter rank on all the homies. Um, most importantly, though, it added back my boy Basil Juice. <laughs> they did not talk about Basil at all in the um, in the presentation. Mm-hmm. They were just like, "Hey." Teostra's coming back. Kushalador is coming back. Camellios is coming back. How neat. <laughs> uh, and then, like, you load the game up and Basil starts, like, showing up in quests. Mm-hmm. And they they snuck that motherfucker back in there. And I am delighted. Um, so, yeah, I mean, Monster Hunter Rise continues to be really good. Um, there's definitely... Plenty of things to do, and uh, we're getting another title update at the end of this month as well. So, lots, lots of stuff. Oh, they also added Apex Rathlos and Apex Diablos. Um, haven't bothered with Apex Diablos yet because, like, regular Diablos still kind of scares the shit out of me. Mm-hmm. So, I'm not trying to fight like a powered up version of him quite yet. Um, but yeah, look, if you haven't played Monster Hunter before, Rise is a great jumping in point especially so early in its life cycle as it is right now on switch um and other than that i've been playing pokemon snap and pokemon snap has one note (laughs) but boy does it do that one note really 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 well um yeah like even even feeling like it's a bit of a grind to like unlock new areas and stuff like that Mm. like it's a little grindy at times, but like it never feels like I'm wasting my time. It never feels like I'm not getting anywhere. There's always there's always like a new thing that I haven't seen before. There's always new stuff to explore. Um, yeah, God, Pokemon Snap is <laughs> so good. Um, Pokemon Snap is a good thing for like, all right, cool. I've got like 15 minutes to kill. I'm going to like run a stage in Pokemon Snap real quick and see see what I can see. Um, whereas like a Hunted Monster Hunter Rise, it's like eh, still probably taking like 20 minutes to a half hour yeah. at least um, for some of the higher higher level shit right now. But Pokemon Snap is like delightful. It is wholesome. The game looks beautiful it plays very straightforward. It plays basically how the old one played, where it's like it's an on-rail shooter, except rather than shooting bullets, you're shooting photographs. So very cool. If you liked the old one, you should definitely pick up the new one. 
So I've I've been playing two games this week as well. I touched briefly on Warframe last week, and I played a lot of Warframe over the past week. And okay. that game, I, I, I mentioned it briefly that the game doesn't do a good job of onboarding you onto the process. But man, once you once you fight through that, it's a lot of fun things to do. Now those typically revolve around the same like ten to fifteen like mission types that you're just kind of running over and over again. And and the thing also about Warframe is that the the gains are much further spread out. It's actually probably more akin to Monster Hunter in a lot of ways because I think people's automatic comparison would be to Destiny, but it's not like Destiny because Destiny you're getting guns and armor thrown at you. Like it's candy constantly, and and it's just about finding like the right rolled stuff. In this game, the weapons have to be built, like they have to be forged. So, it, like you're not farming for the guns themselves; you're farming for like blueprints and materials and things of that nature. And it really encourages you to use the same weapon for a long period of time because each weapon has like an affinity. And as you level it up, you can put more and more powerful mods on it, which can kind of give it a unique feel. And you can create not only multiple loadouts per Warframe, which is kind of like your class, but you can create multiple loadouts per weapon as well. And then like when you max rank a weapon, because you have like this overall mastery rank, which is like your level, then you're encouraged to switch to a new weapon so that you can start with a low level weapon and level that up so that you're you're constantly progressing this this mastery rank and that has kind of shown the promise of the game and there's just so much shit because they've been doing this game for 8 years there's so many things thrown in it there's like a there's like a, a flight like mini game that you can do that you have to like get a forge for. And there's a thing called a railjack that is a four man crew that you're taking on like space missions with three other players. And each of you has like a responsibility on the ship that you got to do. And as you progress further in the game, like the story beats start to emerge and they get a lot more interesting and they have like the different guilds. They, and they also have like already my favorite faction system in any game that I've ever seen, because there's mm. like six factions in the game, right? And you can pledge to any of them. And when you wear their, you know, paraphernalia on missions, you get, you know, rank with them and, and that will give you like special things you can unlock. But each faction, each faction has like an allied faction and they also have an enemy, like two enemy factions as well. So while you're gaining your main rank with this one faction, you also gain rank with the allied faction, but you gain negative rank with their enemy factions and as you level those factions down you get like like things like thrown at you by those factions like they go out into the world to like try to attack you and stuff like that as you're completing missions and things of that nature so that's huh. really interesting um gives you really you know makes you think about which faction you want to play to and then like if you try to go to this other faction to, like if you try to boost your rank up with them to try to get in their good graces it's going to lower it somewhere else so you're kind of spinning all these plates uh with the faction minigame so warframe's really good um lot like I said, so much to do in the game just for free um and and it's pretty solid and then returnal came out and boy howdy uh is returnal Better than it has any reason to be. What okay. a what a game Returnal is. So Returnal is the first like triple A caliber game from Housemark, who is famous for putting out like a ton of arcade games that are beloved, like Super Stardust HD and Rezogun and and Dead Nation and and you know and others. 
Um, and this was like a departure from that, and people weren't really sure what it is, but it, or what it was going to be. But it really is like a house mark game, like it's a bullet hell third person shooter that also happens to be a roguelike game where you're running through these different rooms. Uh, the story is given to you through breadcrumbs, which is a really interesting way to tell it. Like you get a little bit extra of the lore um, as you go along. Uh, it's about progressing through these different biomes. Uh, it is truly a roguelike because you don't get permanent upgrades for your character as you go through the game. What you do get is you get permanent uh, like glyphs and stuff like that. So it's, it's lore that you're learning. Um, if you finish a biome, it, you never have to fight that biomes boss again. If you don't want to, like you can always just go to the portal to the next biome. Okay. Uh, and as soon as you get into the next biome, you get a consumable that basically levels you up to what you need to be for that biome so that the next weapon you get will be competitive in there. Um, the weapons don't change. Like you have the same, pistol every time you start a new run and there's certain weapons you get but obviously as you go through the game you unlock more options for them and as you use each weapon you'll unlock perks that are permanent on the gun so like when you level up like a heavy magazine perk on the pistol every future iteration of the picks of the pistol will have that perk on it and each weapon has four different perks that you can get for it that you have to unlock by actually using the gun. And then there's different artifacts that you'll randomly get during the run and you can unlock additional of those using the only permanent currency that carries over from run to run. Um, the game feels so good. Like, like it, it really feels like a house smart game. Their games always control spectacularly. Um, the, the locomotion in the game is great. Uh, someone said that it reminds them like the movement reminds them of like the first person Metroid games. And I can definitely see where they're coming from with that. Um, the gunplay is great. And it's, it is truly an old school game in that you have to learn how to play the game better. Like the, like the game I've seen a lot of people say, Oh, it's brutally difficult. It's no, it's not more brutally difficult than like a souls game game would be, or like a mega man game used to be back in the day. It's difficult when you first encounter enemies and you don't know how their attacks work and what patterns, you know, their attacks come out in and, and that sort of thing. But as you encounter the enemy more and more, you anticipate better. You're able to strategize a little bit better. You get smarter about what weapons are most effective against which enemy. And you have to be careful of that because you can only carry one weapon at a time. So it's not like you can just carry a whole arsenal with you that you can switch to the best gun based on the given situation. Um, but you just, it like enemies that gave me a major problem that would take away like three quarters of my life in early runs are now like no problem that I'm just like murking with three shots basically because I learned, you know, how, like when to use my alt fire and, and things of that nature as well. It's a really damn good game. It's gorgeous. Uh, the audio design is great. It uses the haptic feedback in the controller, um, Better than any other third, better than any other AAA game has so far. Astros is still better, but Astros was literally designed around that as a concept. Astros is a tech demo for the right. Controller. It's, it is literally a tech demo for the controller. Um, but Returnal definitely does it best. Like I said, I my one bit of skepticism about the game going into it was the seventy dollars price tag. And so far, in like seven hours that I played, so it, thus far it is definitely justified 
um, that price point. Because I wasn't expecting a game that had this kind of like arcade proclivity to live up to that. But it's been really fucking good so far. And I'm looking forward to playing more of it. Uh, I see a lot of folks hemming and hawing about wanting a save feature. I understand that. Um, runs do like a, like a decent run will take you anywhere from... 20 minutes to an hour or more, depending on how far you progress and, and, you know. Yeah, that's tough. It is to, tough. To, 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 like, start a run and, and, like, be doing really well and to have something come up and to not be able to, like, do anything about right. it. Right, like, you like can pause that. the game, but that's about it. Um, apparently, Housemark said that, like, their response to the, to the community was about a safe feature, like, hey, we hear you. So that usually means that it's something that they're looking for. It's something for, they're so. probably working on now. Right. Um, but yeah, if if you were skeptical about Returnal, uh, it's it's really good. I would highly recommend checking it out. I did post on the Dense Pixels YouTube channel, youtube.com slash Dense Pixels, uh, the first hour and 15 minutes of my experience with Returnal. I wanted to stream it, but my audio was having, my stream audio was having issues, which I hope to have resolved. So you should see me on Twitch, uh, hopefully soon playing wow. Returnal. So it's, uh, Twitch, uh, what is my damn Twitch? <laughs> Dense Pixels Brad, that's my that's my Twitch name. So if you go to Twitch, you can follow me there. And of course, if you're in the uh, Dense Pixels Discord, uh, densepixels.com/fans, we have a dedicated channel to announcing uh, streams and stuff like that. So you can you can check that out there as well. So that's what we have been playing. Let's talk about what you might be playing. Not Carrie, but you know, like the like the royal you, the royal you, the royal you, <laughs> listeners. Uh, this week. So first of all, PlayStation has announced their PlayStation Plus uh, free games for the month of May. Uh, for PS5, you have Wreckfest, which uh, I've heard good things about. Uh, Wreckfest is basically like a demolition derby racing game. Uh, it's made by the folks who made uh, the Flat Out series, which I know had its uh, had its following of fans. And there's online multiplayer, and they're getting their PS5 edition. And uh, it's it's coming out on PS5 free. Notably, if you have a PS4, uh, you do not get Wreckfest for free. So just keep that in mind uh, as you go. Only PS5 version is free. Uh, if you do have a PS4, though, don't worry. Uh, you can get Battlefield 5 for free, uh, as well as Stranded Deep, which I have to imagine is a game about stabbing Octopi with a harpoon based on the cover image for the game. Actually, it looks like it's a, it's like a survival game. Uh, if you were stranded after like a plane crash on an Island. So it's cast away. Yeah. It's cast away the game, except that you don't have a volleyball that you're slowly, you know, getting, getting dementia <laughs> that, that you have become person. emotionally dependent on. Correct. Correct. So that's, what's free. If you have a PlayStation, uh, as far as new release games that you actually have to pay money bucks for, uh, Sire, the beginning comes to PC, uh, Tohu Project 18 comes to I want to talk about Tohu Unconnected Projects, Marketeers. Well, I, let's let's put, circle back around. Okay. Let's circle back around. Uh, the Colonist comes to PlayStation, Xbox, and Switch. Skate City comes to PlayStation, Xbox, Switch, and PC. And finally, uh, get your big woman fantasies dialed up to maximum Those levels. big mommy milkers are about to be released unto the world. That's right. Resident <laughs> Evil Village or Resident Evil 8 Village or Resident Evil 8-age, however you want to say it, uh, comes to PlayStation, Xbox, and PC. So why do you want to talk about Tohu Project 18? 
Because uh, Toho Project is a series that I used to be very into and I used to be very good at. Mm -hmm. Um, This is the first time that a mainline Toho Project game has just been released on Steam for it's $15. You -hmm. can just go on Steam. It's not available in English yet. Um, So it's like all of the dialogue is in Japanese. So, I mean, if you can read hiragana great um if not uh, good luck uh the menus are all in english so that's fine you know you're not gonna have to guess as far as what you're doing um but yeah like i've played toho since about 2007 Mm. um and uh i was really into it for a few years and i was very good at it and uh, i one of my friends was like oh you can just buy the new toho on steam and i was like what the because you used to have to go to like a sketchy corner of the internet and like pirate the game and then go to a different sketchy corner of the internet to apply like an English translation patch to it in order to like make it playable. Um, you couldn't even go to like a Play Asia or something like that to get it like a legit copy? I mean, because they're doujin games. Mm. So like they were only ever released at like Comicat. Mm-hmm. Um, so like buying them off of an import site, like you're probably paying, you know, three or four times retail price just to like import it to the United States to play it legitimately. Mm-hmm. Um, and now it's just like, cool, legit $14.99 on Steam. Boop, done. Like I played <laughs> around earlier. I am not good at that game anymore. Um, I wiped on stage five on easy mode and I was like, <laughs> maybe I'll start playing Toho again more regularly. But yeah, I just think that's neat. Um as a longtime Toho fan that, you know, it's now more accessible than ever before. So that's kind of cool. Not related. I forgot to bring this up when I talked about Returnal. Returnal also does like the shittiest thing I've ever seen in my entire life. So basically on Returnal, everyone that's on your friends list that's also playing Returnal, like whenever they die, your, the, your PlayStation app on your phone like notifies you like where they were when they died essentially. So like Steve in the fan group was pissed off because I got to like the second biome before he did. And it was like letting him know that I was dying. But I understand because I have a friend who's further than me and I get really upset too. when I see that he, that he died, but he's like one or two biomes ahead of me as well. And so it's, it's a weird like progress envy thing that you have with your friends. Like, Oh, these motherfuckers, like why, how am I getting my ass kicked? And they're, and they're able to fucking progress through this fucking game. God damn it. Bastards. So I don't know. I kind of like that. Yeah, it's it, it, it encourages you to get back in. You're like, I'm gonna fucking, dis- I'm gonna murder this boss. Like, <laughs> like this, I'm gonna, I'm gonna fucking take this thing down. The bosses in the game, by the way, dicks. Because if you didn't notice, so one thing they do that what's really cool is that all of the enemies, like in the biome, the boss kind of uses all of their attacks okay. combined. So like, you get trained on what the boss is gonna do, even though you don't realize it. Um, but the boss is a three phase boss fight. So like everyone gets excited the first, like when they first face, uh, Frike, who's the first boss and they whittle her health bar down to nothing. They're like, yeah, I fucking killed her. And then it just, you know, zips right back up again. Much like the first time I fought Hades in Hades, I did not realize that it was a two stage boss battle because no boss battle had been to that point. So mm-hmm. I got really happy when I won with like a sliver of health left and then he was back to full strength. Surprise, bitch. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Bet you thought you'd seen the last of me. <laughs> so, uh, well, Carrie, Micah's not here this week. Micah's so that not means here. that you have to do the ad reads. Wow. Uh, fortunately, I'm good at words. Um, <laughs> Unlike Micah. <laughs> 
if you want to chat with fellow gamers uh, as well as chat with us, you should find us on Discord. Uh, the Discord is now live for not just Dense Pixels, but for most of the other Nerdpocalypse network shows. So head to densepixels.com slash fans to head to our Discord. If you've been in our Facebook group and you haven't made the jump to Discord yet, you should jump to Discord because most of us aren't using Facebook anymore. Um, meanwhile, uh, you can also find us on YouTube. So head to youtube.com slash dense pixels. Hit that like button. Hit that subscribe button. Click the bell icon to be notified when new episodes go live or, you know, when Brad posts footage of him playing video games, which was a delightful surprise to see in my feed. Um, you can see Brad and my shining pale faces <laughs> i actually had to change my shirt because my shoulders are so sunburned and i didn't want that to live on the internet forever uh, my so when i when i use the auto white balance on my camera i was also like way pale so i was like let's <laughs> let's let's bump the kelvin level up a little bit to make this a little bit more representative of how yeah. i'm actually looking so i uh i was out this weekend in the sun and i made the uh, the, the once a year mistake that I make, which is the first time it's really nice and you go outside and you forget that the sun is hot and will give you skin cancer <laughs> if you're not careful. So I got extra quispy this weekend. Um, but uh, anyway, don't forget to subscribe to all of the TMP Studios podcasts wherever you get your podcasts. So that includes the Nerdpocalypse, Black on Black Cinema and coming distractions, as well as the weekly preview episode of Look Forward. But you can also pay $5 a month or $50 for the year to subscribe to our premium content, and that gives you access to the full premium slate of shows, including the airing of Grievances, which I think is ending sometime soon. Not, not, as, not, not as soon as you would think. They still have, like, two and a half seasons to Oh, to wow, okay. The way Micah talks about it is he's just like counting down well, the days he, at this point. He can point. see the finish line and it'll be easy to get through those last seasons because those are like some of the most irreverent but also hilarious episodes of the show. So, Yeah, I personally haven't really watched a whole lot of Seinfeld. So. <laughs> uh, I was in the room when my mom would watch Seinfeld. That was about it. Um you can also catch up on No Time to Bleed, as well as The Men with the Golden Tongues. Uh, Brad, I'm sure a new episode of that is forthcoming. Planned. And, it's, Planned. and, and, and it will be of particular relevance to listeners of this podcast. Ooh. So. Uh, Upstage Conversation, which is my movie musicals podcast. That should also be, uh, we have planned an episode. Yes. Hope to have another episode out in the next couple of weeks. Uh, plus, you can get full episodes of the Look Forward Political Podcast, which often features Brad. So, yes. So, like I mentioned, uh, lots of business news this week. Uh, the first of which talks, uh, uh, most of it centers on Epic Games. First of which uh, talks about Microsoft tangentially. Uh, related to Epic, though. So, Microsoft has decided that any of the games that they sell. On, its, on the Windows Store, will now have an 88-12 split in favor of revenue going to developers. Uh, this, of course, is an improvement for developers from the 70-30 split uh, that's been the industry standard. Uh, of course, Epic famously rolled out an 88-12 split when they launched the Epic Game Store 
uh, about a year and a half ago. Uh, and they have been putting a lot of pressure on the PC marketplace to kind of follow suit. Uh, Steam, of course, uh, made their developer revenue split more generous, but not quite as generous as 8812. Uh, but Microsoft is keeping up with the Joneses here. Uh, notably, they are not changing the 70-30 split on Xbox consoles. Um, and they they state that console manufacturers need the game revenue to offset subsidies than they offer for hardware uh, for that business to be viable. Um, and Epic hasn't tried to attack that revenue split either. But again, a lot more on them later in the show. Uh, it's a pretty big move by Microsoft, I think. I can't imagine, like of the three biggest platforms for PC gaming, that Windows Store is competitive right now with Steam and Epic Game Store. So I can understand why they're doing this. Plus, as we've mentioned, Microsoft really wants you to get uh, Xbox Xbox Gold or, or Xbox Game Pass. Yeah. Uh, so they could probably care less about anything else. Yeah, I mean, this is... Uh... This is good stuff. I mean, I think this is good for the industry at large. So anything to benefit the devs, really. Uh, Epic Games also has said that they do not want Fortnite to be available via the new xCloud cloud gaming service for Microsoft. Uh, This is a quote coming from Joe Kreiner, who is the... uh, boss at Epic Games, saying that, quote, we viewed Microsoft efforts with xCloud to be competitive with our PC offerings. Um, I understand this as well. So, like, if you are using xCloud on a mobile device, uh, Fortnite or Epic Games would much rather you play the native version of Fortnite on that device, uh, which, you know, right now is a little difficult with the whole uh, the whole lawsuit that's going on mm-hmm. at the moment. Uh, but I totally understand why they would fight to prevent this from happening. Uh, whether or not they have a leg to stand on with it, I don't really know. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. It's um, I can see what they're saying. But. Um, yeah, I. Uh, I don't know. There's a lot going on with Epic this week. Well, like you said, it's not going to stop. Um, Some surprising news came out from Sony this week where they have said that they have purchased a minority stake into Discord. And they are working on integrating Discord into the PlayStation platform uh, sometime early next year, both on console and on mobile. Uh, It's not mentioned in the blog post from Jim Ryan uh, that announced this, but I have to imagine that the TNP Studios migration to Discord is finally what pushed Sony over the edge and said, you know what, we need to start taking this Discord platform pretty seriously. And that's what uh, spurred this on. So uh, it caused them to spend millions of dollars in order to uh, in order to get on the platform. I mean, this is super cool. Um, Discord, particularly during the pandemic, has been such a boon um, for Social activities, like I've been doing group watches on Discord because it's so easy to just like click share screen so like everyone can just watch what I'm watching. Um, Super easy to stream games to Discord. So to be able to stream PlayStation games directly into Discord so you can just hang out and chat with your friends while you're doing it like dope. Cool. Looking forward to it. And I mean, a lot of the folks uh, you guys listening have asked us to 
possibly look into doing like community plays and stuff like that now. Like it, when this rolls out, that makes it super easy. Like uh, one of the things that was announced this week during the Ratchet and Clank uh, state of play uh, was that Among Us is coming to PS4 and PS5 this year, which I assume that Among Us was already on PlayStation. So that came as, as a surprise to me. Yeah. Like, can we talk about that just as a quick aside? Like, mm-hmm. it's not on our docket, but like they had this state of play and they called it a state of play, mm-hmm. but it was really like, 12 minutes of new Ratchet and Clank footage and them also being like, hey, new Subnautica. Hey, Among Us is coming to PS5. It's like, why did you call it a state of play? Well, why they, didn't they you just like... That. They announced that in advance, though, that it would be primarily focused on... Ratchet right, but like, Clank. why did you call it a state of play? Because that's that's what they call those presentations. Like, I, like, I think they're just... When it's only going to be three games and... One of those games takes up 90% of your yeah, presentation. It was, it was like, the state of play of the Ratchet and Clank series. Ratchet and Clank also coming to Among Us. So there you go. I guess. I thought I it was some. overblown. Um, I thought that was. But no, like that would that would make it super easy um, to be able to to have those and, and things of that nature. I'm, I'm actually very excited about this. And it also kind of shows that Sony is pretty serious about crossplay despite you know, very slowly dipping their toe into that water uh, when it first started rolling out. That that's that's an encouraging sign as well. Nothing but good news here. I hope that other platforms um, are working on similar kind of things. Yep. Uh, also speaking of Sony, some news that was kind of surprising that's going to excite a great many people. Uh, Sony has registered a trademark for Sunset Overdrive. So you'll recall that Sunset Overdrive developed by Insomniac Games. However, it was a Xbox One exclusive. Uh, it was a launch title for the, or not a launch title, but shortly after launch title when the console came out. I would consider that launch, launch window. Launch window. That's it, yeah. it's fine. However, um, Insomniac, now a Sony first party studio, uh, kept the IP uh, when they broke off from Microsoft. So basically, uh, while Microsoft does retain the publishing rights for the first game on console, uh, either you could see a sequel for Sunset Overdrive on PlayStation platforms, or in addition to that, you could also see the original game coming to PlayStation uh, in some sort of publishing agreement with Microsoft. We've seen this before uh, with the first Mass Effect game, uh, which Microsoft had the publishing rights to, uh, but it did end up on Sony eventually. Huh. Yep. Um, yeah, it was the, yeah, the first Mass Effect was a Microsoft Game Studios game. For hmm. those who did not uh, who did not know that, I was not paying attention. Yeah. Uh, but also more recently, with the emergence of MLB the Show on the right. Xbox platform, so the wall the walls and the walled garden seem to be getting some uh, some cracks in the foundation. It it appears that the walls are becoming shorter every day. <laughs> um, so what a, what a brave new world we're uh, we're living in. Right. It's interesting. I mean, it it certainly raises questions about the sort of the continued value of um, console exclusives. Mm-hmm. I think uh, I think you're still going to see a ton of console exclusives for Sony just because you have a lot of Japanese developers that simply aren't interested in developing for Microsoft because Xbox is still not really a viable console in Japan. So why would they bother? Mm-hmm. Um, and Nintendo's, I don't think, ever going to let any of their first party IP show up on another console but um i don't know this this to me just goes to show like 
man, as far as first party, like exclusive stuff for Xbox, they really just have Halo. And <laughs> well, for, for, I mean, for now, there there's yeah. the promise of all these things in development. And I mean, technically also now the Bethesda catalog of games are now first party games for all intents and purposes. <sighs> so ish. Well, I mean, we'll see what happens. What? I don't think I don't think they're going to be exclusives though. No, I, and it's it's funny because it took a long time to get here, but I think that the companies are kind of waking up to the fact that a healthy, vibrant game ecosystem is best for everybody, and like we can all just kind of put our hands on around each other and sing kumbaya and just make a shitload of money, like like just work working not together, but not not antagonistically, not against each other either. Sure. Um, yeah. again, I, not, I still think there is an see. inherent value to each one having like exclusives because yeah. it's like I bought a PlayStation over an Xbox because I know PlayStation is going to have more exclusive games that I'm going to want to play. Mm. Um, so, yeah, I don't know. It'll be interesting to see how this sort of topic plays out in the next few years for sure. So shifting gears here, you may recall about five months ago, we talked about a story on the show where a, a, a SWAT, like a bomb threat uh, or, ma- or mass shooting threat. I don't remember what it is. Uh, I think it was a bomb threat. That I- sounds right. Um, was called into Ubisoft's Montreal Studios, uh, which is just a weird thing that happened one day and no one really knew what was going on. And no one really knew what was going on even in the in the aftermath of what was happening, but it was a pretty scary situation. Um, However, the Montreal police do have a prime suspect in the, in the crime. And it happens to be a guy who has been banned from rainbow six siege more than 80 times for cheating and has been waging a campaign of harassment against not only the studio, but other rainbow six siege uh, community players. Why people are people are why are men? Why I mean right. Why are gamers? (laughs) (sighs) So here so here from the This this is someone who needs serious clinical help. Mm -hmm. One, because like no one who is in their right mind would consider uh, threatening this the Ubisoft Montreal staff, uh, you know, basically th- threatening them to terrorize them to death, you know, demanding access to uh, Rainbow Six and access to commands to ban other people that he's engaged in swatting against other players. Like this person needs to be put in an institution and evaluated and treated because this is not someone who is mentally well. Um, Like this is the kind of person who eventually escalates into serious real world violence. Yeah. Um, I mean, in many ways he already has like SWAT, you know, calling in a police SWAT team to a situation. We've seen how that's ended 
tragically in in the past it's, it has ended in people getting shot by right. police like, like like so and we so we've already seen like the ill effects of this happening you can argue that that is a violent oh that it's violent. it's violence i i guess i mean like this is the kind of person who eventually goes out and picks up the gun themselves rather than sending other people with guns right i mean and and this is the type of guy that this dude is like you know he he told the newspaper uh that was covering the story uh, he said, quote, normally just for the buzz, I would have said that it was I who sent the police to Ubisoft. But, hey, now the buzz is zero. Like, so he's trying to deny the fact that he did it. But, he, you know, for the for the lulls, basically, is is what he would have claimed responsibility for. So he says, um, again, he's denied having responsibility for this. Uh, but, again, in the indictment, um, it does say that he threatened Ubisoft in a, in a phone call. Um and, you know, it comes down to the fact that he said, you know, he wanted to un- unban their account because he had put over $1,500 in uh, cosmetics into the game and things of that nature. Uh, again, just a reminder, we said it a million times in the show before. Just don't be a shitty person. Also, like the dude would have never gotten banned if he hadn't been a fucking shitlord to begin with. And and harass players and grief players and, and things of that nature as well. So, yeah, it's, it's unfortunate that people like that still exists in the space. Um, but unfortunately it is what it is. And I hope that he gets everything that is, uh, that is coming to him. So mm. we'll see what happens there. Um, Carrie, I'm going to need your help sure. here with this story. Okay. Because our, our last, <laughs> our last story this week is about this like crazy resurgence. And I, I don't even, it's hard to even call it a resurgence. Cause it's not like, Pokemon TCG went away. Like Pokemon has no. been the second most popular trading card game in the After world Magic. for yeah. for years. Right, since 1998 yeah. basically. But it's but for some reason like in the past several weeks like people are going crazy. It's built up to this right. point. Um it's it's really hit a fever pitch I would say in the last 6 months. Um yeah, so the, the Vice article is Target is prepared to call the cops on frantic Pokemon card hunters. Um, yeah, Target has, I guess, been one of the key sellers of the Pokemon trading card game. Um, and this most recent set, um, Shining Fates, um, like the the market for Pokemon cards right now is just sort of bonkers because you have... <laughs> You have people my age who grew up playing the card game. Really, like I was playing Pokemon cards and sort of collecting Pokemon cards even before I had a Game Boy Color and was playing the video game. Um, So you have people my age who are, you know, let's say late 20s to mid 30s. So these are now people who have real jobs and disposable income and who maybe had parents that made them get rid of their Pokemon cards when they were kids. And now they're like, well, I'm an adult and I'm feeling nostalgic and I have expendable income and I have expendable income now. So I'm going to go back and try and get the cards that I really liked as a kid. And then on top of that, largely thanks to the massive worldwide success of Pokemon go, you have, a generation of fans 20 years younger who are getting into the Pokemon card game for the first time. 
So it's this massive intersection of this intergenerational sort of surge of interest in the Pokemon trading card game mm-hmm. that is leading to this explosion in popularity in the cards again. Um, even though, again, the cards never went away. Um, they've always released new sets basically every it's almost quarterly at this point, mm-hmm. like a new expansion it, it is, comes out. It is, it is literally quarterly because when I was yeah. at GameStop, we were carrying them as well. So I remember every yeah. every couple, every three months we would get the new the new boxes in. So look, I have all of my cards from when I was a kid because my dad's a sports memorabilia collector. So there was never any vibe in the house of like oh you have to get rid of collectibles like my hoarding was encouraged and is now paying off for me as an adult because i could sell five of my cards and put a down payment on a car like because i kept everything in really good condition um i mean that's part of the part of the thing is like the vintage cards those early sets base set jungle fossil team rocket early shit in good condition Particularly if it's been graded. There's a whole other Vice story mm-hmm. where fucking CGC is like so backed up by card grading demands for Pokemon specifically that they're just like, we don't know when we're going to get to it. We have to hire more people to grade cards because we literally do not have the manpower to grade <laughs> all of this fucking cardboard. Um, yeah, it's wild. And it's like the the new set release and everyone's going fucking bonkers over it because there's, you know, you've got your chase cards and your rare shit. And it's like, it's just as it was fucking 25 years ago when people were trying to get the holographic Charizard. Like, the market is, it has exploded. I feel like there's, there's always talk of like, oh, the bubble's going to burst. And like, eventually, a couple years from now, I'm sure things will die back down a little bit. Mm-hmm. But in the meantime, you look at like heritage auctions or similar auction houses and they are selling vintage Pokemon cards graded, you know, a CGC gem mint, you know, 10, 10 or or 9.8 on the grading scale. And they're selling for like (laughs) $250,000. Like it's nuts. Like I don't have a single card that's worth that much, but like. Again, I have a handful of cards that, like, if I needed money right away, I could sell them and like make a fuck ton of money. I mean, are um, you are you tempted to to do it no, while the while no, the tide nope. is rising? I guess so. I I am not interested in making money off of my collection, at least not now. Um, well, it's, it's, it's I I have so much sentimental attachment to my collection, um, simply because, you know, I. I've I've said it multiple times on the show. My parents would drop me off at Owings Mills Mall three days a week mm-hmm. so that I could play Pokemon cards at the Wizards of the Coast store. I still have like my league book. I have the badges that I earned playing games and, and trading cards. I still have my decks that are like still intact. Um I for for me, like the cards are more valuable to me as far as their representation of positive childhood memories Mm -hmm. rather than simple resale value. Um, I have sold a handful of my cards before, but the stuff that I've sold has all been like duplicates. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm not getting rid of, of anything. Like I, I still have such a, a sense memory of like buying my first pack of Pokemon cards at the mall and like opening it up and like, 
knowing exactly what cards were in that pack and whatnot. Um, so I just, for me, like I, I'm too attached to the nostalgia of Pokemon trading cards that I don't know that I would ever be like, oh yeah, I'm going to sell my collection and make a fuck ton of money off of it. You know, like that's not me. I know people do that, but I mean, if I if I wasn't playing the game, I would easily sell my collection for a fuck ton of money right now. While there's a fuck ton, a fuck ton of money. I, I'm made, so. way too sentimental about. <laughs> See, but, <laughs> about but, my you're, stuff. but you're also you're also a homeowner, so eventually, like in like three more years, your homeownership brain will intercede with like getting older, and then you become me, who's like fuck sentiment. I've got too much shit. And I need to get I need to get rid of some stuff because I mean, I here's want some the thing. Space. I mean, there's there's having too much shit. Like I have too much shit already for sure. But like, uh, I ain't having kids, so it's not like I have to make room for <laughs> other human beings in my house. Um, but like, Pokemon cards don't take up a ton of space either. No, not like, if you I like, have not multiple if you have, like, binders, a giant deck box or binders or stuff like right, that. Right? So. You know, they maybe take up the size of my screen here yeah. you know if i <laughs> pile them on top of each other it's one drawer with a worth of stuff so it's it's like it's just wild to see um like the frenzy around them like targets limiting people to like one tin per purchase and they've got people lining up outside on restock days and, and yeah, things of that nature wild. as well camping out overnight and calling the cops and this that or the other thing and it's funny because like with magic I, I, I'm not surprised to see that. So, like, what you get on, like, mag- like when the new Magic sets come out is you'll see people that will go to their uh, local game store and they'll have pre-ordered a couple, like, booster boxes. And they'll literally sit there in the game store, open the packs, find, like, the rare cards that they already know are rare, literally, like, sell back the other cards to the game store for fucking nothing and then use the money just to buy additional booster boxes to cut through and just find the very best cards and not even for resale purposes that that's for deck constructing purposes which yeah. is also wild to me as well um and it, and it it really does seem like in this specific endeavor for pokemon it is people trying to chase trying to chase a buck um yeah. in a lot of ways it, it doesn't feel like it's as much about developing for the game as it is about just chasing no like the thing about the trading card game itself and like i haven't played the Mm -hmm. game since 2000 and two three somewhere in there uh my initial pokemon trading card game experience was like i basically played and purchased through sort of the gen 2 sets Mm -hmm. and then i sort of stopped right as gen 3 was starting to come out um so um all of my cards are vintage. Worth a lot. Um, but the the thing about the game itself is that like it has experienced a continuous power creep. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, whereas there are certain modes of playing Magic the Gathering that will allow you to play with vintage cards, no problem, because those cards are still viable. Um there's no point in trying to do that with the Pokemon trading card game because nothing from even two or three years ago mm-hmm. is worth anything in the contemporary meta. Um, so it's it's a difficult game to keep up with if you're trying to play the game competitively. Um, but uh, yeah, this the the market for the Pokemon trading card game is very much like people just trying to trying to make a buck. But uh, if you are into Pokemon 
or the Pokemon trading card game. You can stock up and give us a little bit of a kickback at <laughs> densepixels.com slash Amazon. There's plenty of Pokemon merchandise, including Pokemon trading cards uh, at densepixels.com slash Amazon. You shop as normal. We get a little bit of a kickback and uh, everyone wins. A seamless, a seamless transition. Fantastic. Thanks. Professional. Yeah, I love it. <laughs> um, our our main stories to talk about this week are all about this Apple Epic case, and not not even so much about the case itself, but just more about the fact finding that's that's happened as a result of the disclosure and testimony that's gone on in the trial so far. So, Vice is streaming. They're they're one of the they're one of the main channels, but they're the ones that I see. So Vice has a YouTube stream of that you can just literally listen to the the goings ons of the hearings uh, if you want to throughout the day or afterwards. Um, the first thing that they did, which is hilarious to me, so so this is your typical regular society doesn't understand the impact of video games on the culture because they thought it would be fine. Like, yeah, this is a normal lawsuit between two big companies. So let's have an open conference call line that people can dial in on to listen to the trial. This is a pretty standard practice for this kind of stuff because like business reporters and things of that nature will listen in to these, to these hearings to be able to report on them. Um, what they were not expecting were more than 200 people to dial in, uh, that realized that they actually could talk because they didn't mute everybody else on the line, which again, conference call one oh one. Um, you gotta do it. Uh so all these people that were like Fortnite fans were coming in to be like, you know, free Fortnite and uh one guy said uh literally said, I would suck all of you to get Fortnite mobile back <laughs> basically on this conference call. For this legal hearing, um, the clerks eventually figured out how the mute all version or feature works, uh, but it took about 15 minutes for them to uh, to figure that out because I guess they didn't realize that fans of Fortnite would uh, would care to come on and listen to these things. But really shout for uh, Apple to let Fortnite back on the store. Tremendous. Yeah. Tremendous. Nothing about that surprise. Tremendous. Um, so here, so here's the fact. So, so here's what we learned. Uh, so the first thing, and this is like, like I'm sad Mike is not on the show because he would fall out of his chair upon (laughs) seeing this news. Fortnite generated $9.1 billion of revenue between 2018 and 2019. And if you're wondering how that equates to profit for Epic Games, uh, that's about $5.4 billion of profit with a B in 2018 alone and $3.7 billion of profit in 2019. So that's wild. So that, 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 and again, so that 9.1 billion is, is, I'm sorry, that's, that was the revenue breakdown. Um, they said that they made $5.5 billion of profit across the two years. So about, you know, a little bit more than 120% of their costs, essentially, yeah. coming mm-hmm. back to them in profit. Pretty good. And if you think, wow, that's a lot of money. Uh, also now consider that despite not being on the Apple or Google Play stores for pretty much half the year, they still brought in $5.1 bill, $5. billion of profit 
in 2020. Now that's profit across all of Epic Games, but the Epic Game Store actually runs at a loss for Epic. So, yeah. that, so it's not contributing anything to the bottom line. And their other games are pretty minimal aside from Fortnite in terms of what they're actually bringing into the company. Right. That's a I feel like that that resurgence in, in 2020, right. uh, largely due to the pandemic, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, probably had a lot of people who had stopped playing Fortnite, uh, ended up furloughed and sitting at home with nothing better to do and went, oh, I guess I'll play Fortnite. Yeah, 100 percent. Um, in June 2020, Epic said uh, that Fortnite had 80 million monthly active users and 350 million player accounts. I, I just 350 million player accounts like that's literally in if everyone in the United States of America had a Fortnite account, that would still not be the total amount of Fortnite accounts that exist in the world today. Yeah, that's that's a stu- again, that's just. That's gobsmackingly insane amounts of of money and users and all sorts of things. Um, yeah, it's, I mean, and and again, like that that sounds like a lot of people not playing Fortnite, but you guys have to understand, like a game retaining, like like Warframe, I'll just throw out as an example, has like over, I think they said they have over twenty million accounts, but they usually have around you know, a million to a million five monthly active users, like retaining. What is that? 20%, I guess, of your, of your account base, a little less. Yeah. That's a, that's a very high number. Very, very high number. Um, almost half of this revenue that Epic is bringing in from Fortnite is coming exclusively from PlayStation, which also, again, is a wild, statistic to see um really shows the market share dominance of playstation 4 in the marketplace um even over pc not not as far as pcs being out there but just in terms of like the game market um that's that people are using it at uh so that's that's a pretty good indicator might also describe uh why sony was able to dictate terms in terms of crossplay with fortnite Uh, According to Tim Sweeney of Epic Games, Epic actually has to pay Sony for the right to have crossplay in Fortnite. Hmm. So that's that's pretty crazy as well. Again, the the details are not disclosed as far as how much money uh, Epic is forking over. But if PlayStation is generating half the revenue, guess that might explain why they're willing to to kick that kick that over. Um, This is the most shocking story to me on on many fronts. So l- let's let's first kind of ease into the story. So for the first time ever, because of the disclosure in this case, we're getting a peek behind the curtain of just what do store platforms pay to developers to get exclusivity, to be able to give their game away for free. Like what are developers seeing from that and how is it really benefiting? So we have this full list of all of the games that the Epic Game Store has given away for free and how much they've paid out to developers and what that's done for Epic Games. So as an example, Subnautica uh, was given away for free for some time on the Epic Game Store. Over 4.5 million users downloaded the game on the Epic Game Store 
which led to Subnautica developers getting $1.4 million from the Epic Game Store. And you might say to yourself, that doesn't sound like a lot of money. You have to remember the Subnautica team is a super small studio. Like $1.4 million is a fuck ton of money to them. Um, I don't know how that translates to what they would have gotten in revenue, but they probably wouldn't have gotten four, four and a half million downloads as a result. Yeah, right. Um, what, Plus, you know, with Subnautica below zero mm-hmm. coming out, like that, like having that many people download the game then generates interest for the sequel, which then generates into more revenue Absolutely. On the sequel. Absolutely. Um, And what it did for Epic Games is it got them 800,000 new accounts on the Epic Games Store. If you break that down to a cost per account basis, they only paid $1.74 for every new account that came onto their platform as a result of giving away Subnautica for free. It's enormous. Like any company would like to see that ROI. Um, yeah, that's that's what you call lead generation. Yes. <laughs> uh, and as someone who now works in marketing, there is really nothing more important than lead generation mm-hmm. and then being able to retain those leads. Now, retain like basically once someone has an Epic account, like that's it. They're in like um, and then they can now be sort of marketed directly to by Epic um, or by other developers. Uh, which then leads to presumably them buying more games and spending more money. So mm-hmm. that that you know dollar and change per account um, is almost assured to come back. Yeah. And and again, you you see varying degrees of success here. So like a game like so Inside, for example, was also made available for free on there. Uh, they paid Playdead eight hundred k to get it on there. It brought two and it had 2.7 million downloads but it only brought about 80 about a little less than 72,000 new accounts to the platform now this of course happened much later after subnautica like subnautica was the first game they ever gave away for free that drove a huge amount of of folks to the store so in that case like for inside they were actually paying like 11 dollars per account generated Ooh. that's not a great that's no, not a great not roi good. um but so you so this list is really interesting. There's a ton of games. Um, Celeste also didn't do a great job in driving uh, people to the platform. Uh, For Honor, they paid almost nothing to get on the Epic Game Store, six, only sixty three grand. Uh, but it got them one hundred eighteen thousand new users for fifty three cents uh, per account generated, which is outstanding. Uh, Overcooked also like did a great job for them. Um, Mutant Year Zero was another top driver, Slime Rancher. So there's a lot of games that came out uh, that drove a lot of folks. And especially early on, you saw a lot of success. Like it really took until um, uh, mid-2019 when the store had been open for about six months before you didn't really see a strong uh, return on investment there. The like jaw-droppingly shocking amount was the $146 million dollars that Epic paid to 2K Games to get a six-month exclusivity for Borderlands 3 on the Epic Game Store before it released on Steam. Now, this was a this was a deal that was um, not uh, not just for Borderlands 3. It also was incorporating uh, 
Borderlands Handsome Collection being sold on the Epic Game Store as well as Civilization. There's a bundle that they put out as well uh, for Civ 6. That was part of this too. But again, that's $146 million to get the game exclusively for half a year. Perhaps more staggering than that statistic is that Epic made back $110 million in the first two weeks and brought three quarters of a million new users to the Epic Games store because of Borderlands 3. That's the business, baby. <laughs> like, uh, I don't even know if I would consider that staggering. Like, $146 million feels like a lot of money for a six-month ex- exclusivity contract. Yeah. But a game that was so anticipated as Borderlands 3, um, obviously it was worth it. You know, Epic, Epic made back almost all of that money in the first two weeks. And by adding that many, you know... 750,000 new accounts to the Epic Game Store means that those people are probably also going to then, even if a third of those people spend a little a little extra money on, on the Game Store, all of that $146 million is back at that mm-hmm. point. And then you're golden, you know? So... Yeah, like, like, if, like just, if you just are looking at revenue, like if you, if let's say that like you said, a third of them, so 250,000 people spent 20 bucks at any point on the Epic Game Store. Like that is still another six and a half million dollars that you're generating in revenue. Mm-hmm. And that's if they spent 20, like 25 bucks. That's it. Yeah. If they bought another full price game, double that. Right. And that and that's just if a third stay around. Like Like once you get them, you're not likely to lose them. And that was the big worry that they had is that it's hard to get people to migrate away from Steam because, like, Steam is where my stuff is. Like, like Steam is where my community is. But once you're on a platform, it becomes a lot easier than, especially if they're running deals, especially if they're, you know, like, giving away other games for free that you might be interested to play. Um, it goes to show you what could be what could be made from there. Uh, like I said, I, I just found this peek behind the curtain, something that we've never really gotten about this type of stuff to just be relentlessly fascinating um, in because as I've you know talked about on the show before, I'm a big nerd about the business of the video game business. And if you see this kind of money being thrown around for stuff like this, like just kind of imagine what Sony and Microsoft is is thrown out there, like how much did Sony pay? Uh, uh, psionic to get Rocket League for free on PlayStation when it first released on console. Um, you know, how much are these exclusive deals costing if they're not a first party game? How much did Microsoft pay Square for Outriders? Like, if you know, I Borderlands 3 is Borderlands 3, and they're not going to get anywhere in the neighborhood of $146 million, but did they get, did they pay $20 million? Did they pay $25 million? <laughs> like, 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 right. like who, who knows? Uh, what this stuff is. I really wish this stuff was available uh, for public consumption. So what we need to do is we need to sue Sony and Microsoft for some hackneyed, ginned up reason. And when we go to court and the judge is like, why are you suing these guys? We could just say, 
look, we just wanted to go through disclosure so we could look at financials to report on it because because we're fascinated by it. That's it. We're dropping the lawsuit now that, <laughs> now that we have now that we have this stuff disclosed. So there you go. Uh, we moved to the post office. Again, if you are uh, in our Discord group, deadspixels.com slash fans, you can go to the post office channel and submit your questions literally whenever you want, just like Daniel did, where he said if the Dense Pixels TNP network crew were stuck in a house together for quarantine, everything you ever needed to deliver could be delivered to you, but you can't leave the premises. Who goes insane first? Probably me from having to put up with y'all. I, I, I wholeheartedly agree. <laughs> I wholeheartedly agree. 100%. <laughs> like, not, not from being inside all the time, but just having to put up with, like, this crew's particular brand of bullshit. <laughs> <laughs> I'm good to stay inside. Like, that ain't a problem. I'm looking forward to staying inside for the next month and a half after these cicadas come out. Oh, my God. Don't even get me started on the cicadas. Are you kidding me? Like, we're coming out of a pandemic, and, and but you're making me deal with cicada apocalypse? Right. Like, we're 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 trying to end one plague as another is beginning. Right. Those of you that – that so those that are listening might not realize that I, I do suffer from some, like, mild anxiety and stuff like that. <laughs> and I, I tell you this. I never did. I never did until the cicada outbreak of two thousand <laughs> last one. Of 2003. Yes. That was the worst experience of my life. I hate bugs. Um, I don't like being around them. And giant bugs who are around you in the hundreds of thousands who make a tremendous amount of noise. They just scream. Are just the worst. Just the absolute worst. I don't understand why they need to come up. Just stay buried in the fucking ground. No one likes you. You're useless. You don't do anything. Go away. I'm looking forward to seeing some really fat birds, though. Like, that's it. Like, I look. If you if you listen to this show, you know, Brad and I live in the greater Baltimore area. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we are in the epicenter of the brood X, the 17 year cicada explosion Mm -hmm. that we are currently sitting on the precipice of. They are due out any fucking day now. And I got to tell you, I am not excited. I was going to plant a really nice vegetable garden. Then I was like, you know what? What's the point in doing that? Cause like, I'm not going to want to go outside for one and two, the cicadas are just going to eat it. Um, So I'm just like, fuck it. I'm just not having a garden this year. At, at my office, my the 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 front of the office is lined with many trees spaced out equidistant apart from each other. And if you don't think that I'm going to be running from my car <laughs> to the office door every day and back again, uh, you do not know me very well. And I've never been more happy to live in a townhome community with like no trees or bushes in my general vicinity. Do you want to do you want to have a look? Out, out this window here real quick. Do you want to have a look at all these yeah, motherfucking no, trees? No, no, just, just, just take, take a missile loaded <laughs> with napalm and fire it into the woods and burn that shit down in the ground before they come out because you will go deaf uh, from listening to those fucking things screeching. I live next and, to woods. Yeah. Like, 
no, I, I, I feel for you. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Um, if you need to, if you need to hunker down, uh, you're welcome to come over and hide out from the cicada plague that's about to befall us. I'm fully vaccinated, so yeah. like I feel pretty. Comfy I, as am I. I, I as as of yesterday, now. I am not only fully vaccinated but also fully inoculated. So we are, yeah. we are, we are good to go. I'll be fully inoculated as of tomorrow. Yeah. I think so. So, yeah. uh, the Haitian Michael asks thoughts on WWE bringing back Ava Marie. Um, I have none yet because she hasn't done anything yet. So we'll see if she can actually wrestle now uh, that she's back into into the mix. So we'll uh, we'll have more on that later on. Uh, Rev asks if there's a classic wrestling game from the 90s or early aughts that you'd like to see remade with the same roster modes with a couple of new add ons like announcers of those eras and such. Uh, what games would you like to be remade? Uh, the only answer to this is the uh, is the Aki THQ games on N64. Uh, from, from I was going to say, yeah, like, 100%, 100%, 100%. Give me give me a No Mercy remake with modern graphics and, uh, you know, cool WCW versus like NWO that. World Tour. Uh, not World uh, Tour. No, no, no. Revenge. Revenge. Yes. Yeah. Revenge. We can do that. Uh, not so much WrestleMania 2000, but yes, absolutely. Uh, no Mercy for sure. So. I, I definitely have some very distinct memories of playing um, WrestleMania 2000 and uh, No Mercy. So. I I wouldn't mind revisiting those. I wouldn't mind buying an old cart and just playing that game today. I've got an N sixty four in the basement. Yeah. I, I honestly like I. It's one of the few things I wish I still had for an N sixty four for is to play uh to play the, those games because I still had Revenge when I had my uh when I had my N sixty four and they're very good. A lot a lot of great memories. A lot of great memories from those. Uh, Mad Coco asks, with Vinny Carvella, Brad Shoemaker, and Alex Navarro all posting their notice of leaving Giant Bomb after a decade plus, is the gaming journalist landscape changing again if names from back in the day are leaving? Um, so here is the thing with the gaming journalist landscape is that because of things uh, like Patreon, because of things like uh, you're not seeing it in gaming as much, but you're seeing this in the regular news media with like Substack and things of that nature. Um, you don't have to rely on a big media outlet anymore to be very successful in this industry. Um, it's easier than ever to engage with your audience through YouTube, through Twitch. Uh, and things of that nature as well. Um, you see it most prominently with like the kind of funny crew, uh, as, as like the prime example of success leaving IGN and developing a huge, uh, platform that's been uber successful. Um, you've seen it with like Alana Pierce, who's gone and struck out on her own and done her own thing. And now she's working for, uh, I believe Naughty Dog as a, as a writer, uh, which is super interesting. Um, so yeah, it's, and Giant's funny because Giant Bomb was kind of that before, you know, <laughs> but before they became giant bomb, essentially. Um, so, yeah, I, th I think you're going to see that more and more. The people that have the biggest followings and the the highest like chance of success uh, once they have kind of built up that that recognition and that following. Uh, why wouldn't you strike out on your own? You're going to make more money. Um, it's it's certainly a higher degree of risk because you don't have like a safety net of a large company, but also by the same time, large companies have to be profit driven. So you're more likely to run into like layoffs and things of that nature in those spaces. Well, we've seen IGN do that for sure. Um, so yeah, I, I, I'd, I'd be interested to get your takes on this too, because obviously this is a, this is a field that you're also keen on in addition. 
Carrie. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's, uh, I don't know, like, Yeah, I, I, yeah. I, like I said, I prefer it better because it's, it's a lot easier to support the content that I want. And it's it's different than the content that is kind of just being churned out by these bigger companies. It's, it feels a little bit more authentic in a lot of ways. Yeah, I mean, on one hand, it can be authentic. On the other hand, like, I feel like if someone's acting on their own, like, it's easier for a company to be like, oh, I'm going to pay you to, like feature my content sure um so there's there's sort of a double-edged sword with that like um i don't know like i i feel like i i follow the gaming journalists who i respect on online Mm -hmm. and that's sort of where i'm at at this point um as far as like big larger companies like I have a Washington Post subscription and Launcher does a pretty good job at covering the gaming industry. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel like you're, but, but so, so for, so, but yeah, as, but it's to, to piggyback on that point, are you following because it's the post? Or are you following because you like Gene's work? Like you like Gene's work because I mean, like I'm, I'm pals with Gene, just right. like in general. But that's what I'm saying. Um, like, like so, if Gene, if Gene Park was like, all right, if I'm Gene leave went the off post. and did something on his own, I would still follow his work. But I started following his work because he started because he's at the post, right? Um, but, but I'm saying that's that's how like that's kind of the natural progression of things, though, right? right? Is that, I mean, that's know. that's sort of it. I my my concern again sort of with people striking out on their own is is mostly like yeah they they have sort of the freedom to do it to do whatever they want and they have the ability to presumably make more money um but on the flip side because they're sort of on their own um it's it's it feels easier for them to be sort of plied by the the publishers to do or say certain things in exchange for access. Well, and I think that's the thing is you just have to, it has to be someone you trust and they have to be very forward about where the money is coming from. Like, you know, again, I, I like kind of funny a lot because I'm a big fan of Greg Miller. Um, He goes, he bends over backwards to always tell you, you know, his relation, if he has one to uh, something that he's talking about. So he's, you know, he understands like, Hey, do you want to take this with a grain of salt because of this, this, and this, it's perfectly within your right to do that. Like, for example, like with Bug Snacks, whenever he talks about Bug Snacks or Bug Snacks, his wife uh, was in charge of PR for the game, so he always throws that out there, just to be like, "Hey, my wife worked on on PR for this game, so you know, if you think I'm biased because of that, then feel free to just completely disregard my opinion." Like right. That's, that's and and but like literally every time he talks about it, he mentions it. So like I I I, I trust Greg Miller to not you know keep that kind of stuff hidden. So as long as you can find someone who is forthcoming about that sort of thing then i feel like that that's okay to trust but it has to be someone that you i mean i'm I'm at the point where i'm just like gene's the only motherfucker here i respect right (laughs) (laughs) uh let's see romarius asks if you were fighting game character what would you be a zone type a charge character a tank or other i think i'd be a tank uh, I would I would be a zoning character. I, I I would concentrate on the the game within the game, as it were, uh, playing footsies and, and things of that nature. Uh, Johnny asks thoughts on NRS uh, possibly NetherRealm Studios. Yeah, NetherRealm Studios possibly making the next Marvel fighting game. 
Uh, cool. Um, cool, but if I'm not saying that I need it to be exactly like MVC because it won't be, but right. I also don't want it to be. Close I don't want it to, to be injustice. Injustice, again. right? I, I and I want it to feel appreciably. I would want it to feel appreciably different than any of their other fighting games. Yes, I would agree with that. Um, I think they, particularly within the last, let's say, five or six years, I think at large, they've released some really good shit. Um, but I like I don't want the next Marvel fighting game to feel like Injustice. Much as I have enjoyed my casual experiences with Injustice, I am not a fighting game person. <laughs> we know this. I'm not good at those, so I don't play those. Um, yeah, I, I think it could be cool. Um, but, uh, it's, it, I would trust them to do a good job. I would trust them to release a game that is fun to play both casually and competitively. But as, as you said, like, I don't want it to feel like injustice. Or like Mortal Kombat, for that matter. Uh, Mark asks, and you know Mark is from Canada because he's using the U in the word flavor. Uh, what is the best flavor of ice cream? Carrie, I'll let you answer that question first. Mm, I recently found a new best flavor of ice cream. Mm. And it is by a local brand called Taharka Brothers Ice Cream. And they have a flavor called, um, I think it's called Caramel Crunch. Mm-hmm where it's salted caramel ice cream and mixed in with it are pieces of honeycomb toffee mm-hmm. that are covered in chocolate. And that's the best shit I've ever put in my mouth as far awesome. as ice cream is concerned. So if you're if you're talking about straight ice cream, you're you, you can't get any better than than the reliable chocolate chip cookie dough. I that's what I would say right. is otherwise the best flavor as far as like a non-specialty yeah. flavor that you can get anywhere. Chocolate chip cookie dough is the best. However, that being said, I am now spoiled to having like ice cream with the fresh toppings mixed in like a la Coldstone. Mm. Um the chocolate peanut butter cup at Coldstone is is my fucking jam. You get some chocolate ice cream. You put some you, – you ground up a couple peanut butter cups in there. You put some actual – like a fucking spoonful of real peanut butter. Mix that shit up together. What more do you want? What more could you possibly ask for? You can't ask for anything I think more. I I'm going to go get ice cream afterwards. I, I wish I could. I've been, I've been – I've lost like 50 pounds over the past six months. I've been doing really good changing my eating habits. See, I would like uh, a cold now that I am almost fully inoculated, I'm going to be able to go back to the gym starting <laughs> this week. Um, but – Rather than make myself completely miserable all at once, I'm going to go to the gym for two weeks and then start dieting after that. Um, So I still have like another two, two and a half weeks to eat irresponsibly (laughs) or I have to start seriously counting calories again. Also, it's been fucking hot this week and I just sort of want some ice cream. Um, Leonardo says, just want to wish all the hosts a happy Star Wars day. You know what, Leonardo? May the 4th be with you. Thanks. Happy Star Wars Day. Thanks, Leo. Uh, Vic asks, who is your Smash Brothers main and what never before included character would you like to see in the game along with their stage? Uh, He says he'd like to see Batman with a Batcave stage or Iron Man with a Stark Tower stage. Uh, Link is my main. 
Uh, as far as a character in Smash Brothers that I would like to see that we haven't, um, you know what? Ratchet and Clank, I think, would be a fucking fantastic addition to. to I think that would be a great addition. Yeah, I think that'd be awesome. Um, I'm mostly a Kirby main. Mm -hmm. Um, and we all know what my fucking answer is going to be. But but Isaac is already in Smash Brothers. He's an assist trophy, and he's not playable. But he's in the game. Then give me Felix from Golden Sun: The Lost (laughs) Stage. Or Matthew from Golden Sun Dark Dawn. Do you do I look like someone who gives a shit about technicalities when it comes to Golden Sun? <laughs> no. And like you could do a whole like Venus lighthouse stage where the fucking fusion dragon flies down halfway through the battle and creates like a, a hazard in the center of the stage. There's a lot of cool shit you could do with uh, a Golden Sun stage. But uh, they won't. So I guess I'll die. Finally, Cam says, uh, Dark Side of the Ring is returning this week with a two-parter on Brian Pillman. Uh, If you could pick a video game story or two over the years to get the Dark Side of the console treatment, if you will, what would you like to see? Uh, Easy answer for me. I would love to see a behind-the-scenes story of the rise and fall of 38 studios because that Mm. was such a spectacular rise and such a catastrophic fall considering all the people involved and also considering that fucking Kurt Schilling has become a libertarian psychopath in the years since that game, since that, since his venture collapsed under him. Yeah. That's a great one. Yeah. Um, I want a deep dive into the rise and fall of Sega's hardware division. They kind of, it kind of already exists though because Does they it? yeah because they did the um I can't I can't remember which Netflix I can't remember if it was the Netflix series or the YouTube series that did it and I can't remember what the series was called now but they did a like a Tom Kalinske episode and Tom, Tom Kalinske is like the guy to kind of track yeah um the over that arc of, of Sega. And they really pretty much went over like why it went from like rule, like, you know, co-ruling the console market to, uh, to at one point yeah. having a larger market share than Nintendo yeah. in the mid nineties yeah. with the Genesis. I mean, I think I would specifically want to look at everything, every decision that was made with the 32 X, the Sega CD and the Sega Saturn, the Sega Saturn is especially, I, I want I want a deep dive look at yeah um, because I I feel like it's still sort of the commonly accepted myth that the Dreamcast was Sega's failure in the hardware market, but the Dreamcast was a perfectly fine console yeah, and in Saturn, many ways was very was ahead the, of its time. The Saturn was the true failure. It was it was the Saturn on top of the failures of the Sega CD and the Sega 32X yes. um, that doomed the hardware market so there we missed the second we got so hung up on ice cream we missed the second half of mark's question where he said oh, shit. what do, what game do you think would be vastly improved if they just changed the control scheme or something very simple along those lines i don't have one game for you i have an entire market of games for you japan <laughs> just <laughs> no. adopt 
Western sensibility when it comes to laying out your controllers. Please. <laughs> please just fucking I... <laughs> lay it out. Like the, the West has figured it out. We've optimized it. We've done it. Stop putting important actions on the triangle button. Just stop it. <laughs> just stop it. It's the worst. I feel like I've played so many Japanese games over the years that that is my default um, <laughs> in a lot of ways. Uh, the The game I immediately think of is Kid Icarus Uprising because mm. I think that game had a lot going for it. Um, it had fun on-rail shooter action and it had fun on-ground action. But you had to use... But you had to use the fucking or the circle bullshit. Yeah. Like it was a combo of like the stylus and the circle pad. And it was wildly uncomfortable to play for any extended period of time. And there was no changing it. The game had to come with a stand for you to put the 3DS on so that always, you could play it. Always a good sign when you have to yeah. include a single use accessory just to even play your game. Right, exactly. So I would I would love to see an HD remaster of Kid Icarus Uprising on the Switch that allows you to play it in a way that makes an iota of sense. Um Yeah, I like it's it's too bad that Kid Icarus Uprising had such a terrible control scheme because that game was otherwise a ton of fun. Well, that was a spectacular run of post office questions. Thank you guys very much for submitting them. Again, densepixels.com slash fans. Join the Discord. You can submit them every single week. Carrie, tell us about the Baltimore Game for Gamer Symphony Orchestra show that's coming up. Yeah, we are less than three weeks away from the debut of our spring show, which is called Jammin' From Home. And um, it's got good... Early 90s vibe about the whole show. I leaned really hard into like the Toe Jam and Earl aesthetic, basically. Because uh, Toe Jam and Earl is, we've got a Toe Jam and Earl medley on the on the set. So the show is May 22nd at 8 p.m. Eastern. You can head to facebook.com slash Baltimore GSO or follow us on Twitter at Baltimore GSO for more information. Um, so this will be a premiere. This is not like a live streaming sort of thing. But um, if you like music from uh, Kirby, Dragon Quest, The Legend of Zelda, Breath of the Wild, Final Fantasy IX, uh, Persona 5, F-Zero, Demon's Souls, Wolfenstein, or others, um, there will be something for you on the set list. Uh, I've done a lot of the arranging. I'm doing a lot of the video editing, and I'm performing on five of the songs. So if you like me at all, please tune in when this premieres because it's been a lot of work and uh we certainly appreciate all your support it's totally free we're just out here entertaining you for fun speaking of shit that's free subscribing to the dense pixels podcast as well as the other tmp studio shows on wherever you get your podcast that's free you should do that right now if you haven't done it you can subscribe to the youtube channel youtube.com slash dense pixels where you'll find video episodes of the podcast and playthroughs of games as we go through them and follow us on twitch i am dense pixels brad you'll see me playing apparition probably warframe definitely mass effect here and there at some point uh you can follow terrence at apparition 410 and you can follow carrie at sup it's carrie that's it for us thank you guys very much for watching and listening we'll see you all the next time thanks